in the circumstances of life. When Dale Askevoud shared that today, I think he asked me, when was it, Monday or something? And I said, if I can share what I'm going to be sharing Friday night, then I'll, I'll do it. I don't think I've shared this here yet, have I? I don't think about, the, about suffering. So Friday night we drove into, um, or Friday we drove into uh, Plain City, Ohio, and shared with a widow and widower's group there and talked about this. And this kind of came together for me soon after losing my spouse, my first wife, and just, um, yeah, anyways, let's uh, just go ahead here. You know, this song we could sing, we place you. We just sang a song about putting, exalting the Lord by the way, do we need the do we need to exalt the Lord for him to be exalted? <laughs> he is already in the highest place. He is already exalted. But we constantly need to remind ourselves to put him in the highest place and to exalt him. My wife was killed in a car accident. Most of you know the story. Won't go into a lot of detail. I know there are others here this morning who have lost spouses and um and other loved ones. And by the way, there are, mo there are other ways to suffer. Losing a spouse, losing a loved one isn't the only way to suffer. Um, my son Asher was married the day after we buried his mother. This is Yvonne's husband, Lavelle, suffering from cancer. A year, a year and a half ago, the 27th uh, of August, was it, or September coming up? August. We were married a year and a half. This was um, on that day, February 27, 21. And then my youngest son, Christopher, just got married here in May. So this is our most recent family picture. And have we sung this little song here before, I think? Yeah. Let's sing it one more time here again. I say yes, yes, yes. I say yes, yes, yes. I say yes, Lord. I say yes, Lord. I say yes, yes, yes. One thing we talked about this past Friday night in Plain City is that this whole thing of, we called it the club, the, the uh, widower's club, the widow widower's club. You don't apply for a position in the widower widower's club. It just kind of comes. 
And that's the way most suffering is. Most of us don't go looking for suffering. Uh, but it comes to us, and it comes to us through the hands of a loving God and an almighty God, a God who could do anything to stop our situation or change it, and yet he allows these things, and there's only one response, and that's to say, yes, <coughs> I have argued with God sometimes, but I have learned that it's a losing proposition to argue with someone who knows everything. Never going to win that one. I'm just going to read through some of this, and, and I promise you this is not a sermon, an exegetical sermon. We're not going to try to fully interpret these passages. I'm simply using these passages kind of a launching pad to talk about this whole thing. Peter says that the trial of your faith, that's what suffering is, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus. Chapter 4, for as much then as Christ hath suffered for us, in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind, for he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. And I think that's part of the purpose of suffering is to get us to lean into God so much that our sinning can become less and less. However, if you're suffering, don't ever believe that God is a punitive God and that he's looking down from heaven and he said, well, you know, Ernest, I guess he's just not going not gonna to get it, so I'm going to take his wife. That's not who God is. Um, he's not a punitive God. Someday um, he will be um, you know we could get into the whole uh, hell um, discussion but that's not who God is especially toward his children. Uh, he loves them. I thought of a song this morning um, when I get weary with toils of the day, often the secret, I kneel and pray. There I can hear my Lord sweetly say, come closer, my child, to me. Uh, that's, that's the purpose of suffering. It's God's trying to bring us close, close to himself. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice, inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering. And you could say, well, you know, none of us are suffering for Christ, really, in America today. But we can become partakers of his suffering. Because if you are a believer, and God is allowing you to suffer as one of his precious children, you are partaking in his sufferings in that way. That when his glory shall be revealed, ye, be, ye may be glad with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part is evil spoken of, your party is glorified. But let none of you suffer as an evildoer, as a um, um, murderer, as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, this is one of the th only three times that the word Christian is used in the Bible. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, 
Let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this behalf. Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. Some questions that come to me. Are you suffering? Are you suffering today? Timothy says, Yea, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Okay? We talked about that. And, and, I, and I, I'm sure this is speaking more, this passage is speaking more to the thing of because you have chosen to follow Jesus, you, you suffer. Well, in a similar way, if you choose to follow Jesus and you don't refuse the suffering that he allows in your life, you're choosing Jesus. All that will of God in Christ Jesus. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truth speakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away, Paul tells Timothy. For of this sort, he goes on to describe them even more, and he goes... Yea, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And we have verse 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof. Again. So are you suffering? That's a question we should ponder. Do you allow yourself to suffer? What will happen if you don't allow yourself to suffer? What are you going to do when you have no option? <clears throat> I remember soon after Rachel's death, on Facebook, a friend of mine, he's a great guy, but he posted this, barbecue, coleslaw, and sweet tea in the South, all of a sudden, Everything is right with this day. I almost vomited when I read this. I said, really? So that's what it takes to make everything right with your day. I wouldn't mind just having my wife back. So if you're struggling through the day, just hoping to make it through without sinning, and you're facing excruciating agony over a lost soul, perhaps, it sounds nauseatingly shallow. What if there was only cheap hamburger, white bread, and water? Would that mean you're having a spiritual attack? <clears throat> a couple days later, the same brother. It's wicked cold outside, but the wife is home. The boy is home. The coffee is flowing freely, and the fajita just came out of the oven. It's a good Saturday morning. Or right at that same time, I was communicating with a lady close by there, was attending church, far away from home, not able to speak much English. Her parents were aging back in China, and she's worrying that they must die. She was a stranger. 
or Bill. Never knew the unconditional love of an earthly father, a father who would never allow him to win a game. Or Amber, a young lesbian lady who was sexually abused for years by her dad. And we're Facebooking about barbecue, coleslaw, and the coffee flowing freely. Who even wants to talk about suffering? What does it take to be qualified to talk about suffering? Who would even want to be qualified to talk about suffering? Four things occur to me again. Heart, journey, story, and history. The Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh, it says. Or you could say, the life liveth. Out of the abundance of the heart, the life liveth. We are all on a journey. It's called life, the journey of life. There's a certain mystery to that journey. There's a particular mystery to the journey of suffering. Most of us have read about Job and the suffering that he experienced. Couldn't figure out what was going on. He was living life, 10 kids, trying to follow God. And then suddenly everything goes backwards. There's a mystery to the journey of suffering and yeah, says there was none like him in all the earth, a perfect and an upright man. His wife comes along and says, just curse God and die. Each of us has a story. Each of us are on a journey. But it's not about us. It's not about me and my story, even though I share it with you. It's about God and his story. I put this in your notes there because I wanted you to remember it. I wanted you to take this home. If you don't take anything else home with you today, take this home. But I left out a few words because I wanted you to really get it, okay? And I think you got a pen. So fill in the blanks so that you can remember this truth. Suffering is the most hallowed place of our Heavenly Father's presence. We talked about the song, Come Closer, Come Closer, My Child, to Me. Suffering is the birthing room of travail. Paul says that he travailed in spirit and until Christ be formed in you. He was talking to the believers. So suffering is this birthing room where not only is Christ formed in us, but born from us in the multiplication and magnification of his life. It's not about us. It's about him.
Galatians 4, my little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. Psalm 37 here, this was a verse that came, my daughter Christy came across right about the time of soon after her mother's death. She was reading this verse, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he will do it. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. And she, was, she looked up that word patiently and was astonished to see this definition, to twist or whirl. To writhe in pain or fear, to grieve, to be wounded, much pained, to travail. Did you know that's what patiently meant? When we read that verse, we naturally think, oh, trust in the Lord, wait patiently. So you should probably fold your hands, close your eyes, sit in a quiet corner, meditate on the Lord, have a, at le- probably at least a pink Bible with you, and just... You know, all this quiet, this waiting patiently. That's not what it says. It's writhing, whirling, twisting, turning. (laughs) Grieving. So when we get real about our pain and the suffering, God comes in and gives us this rest, this trust. It's about being real and honest. So, will you allow yourself to suffer? (coughs) Graham Greene in The Third Man says this. In Italy, for 30 years, under the Burgess rule, they had warfare, terror, murder, bloodshed. But they produced Michelangelo, Leonardo da Vinci, and the Renaissance. On the other hand, in Switzerland, they have brotherly love, 500 years of democracy and peace. And what did they produce? The cuckoo clock. So which do you prefer? Do you want to have the effect of the renaissance or do you want to have a cuckoo clock Oxford defines pleasure a condition induced by the enjoyment or anticipation of what is felt or viewed as good or desirable the opposite of pain I I have to confess this this would have been my definition of pleasure. The opposite of pain, let's just turn our back on pain and experience pleasure. Speaking of da Vinci, here is his allegory of pleasure and pain. He has, like Siamese twins, joined at the heart, two torsos, two bearded heads, four arms, never one without the other, 
seeming contrary to each other, pleasure and pain, but growing out of the same trunk, one and the same foundation. He says the foundation of pleasure is labor with pain. That's the foundation of pleasure. Labor with pain. And he says the foundations of pain are vain and lascivious pleasures. I came across this, yeah, back then, soon after, when I was experiencing a lot of both pleasure and pain. You know, there were things about losing your spouse and just, yeah, coming to the end of yourself, as it were, that were so hurtful. I remember being in my study in the basement of our house there in Los Angeles, a concrete floor, kneeling on that floor and it feeling so cold. And I felt as though someone had put me into a, ca a, a, a space capsule and shot me into outer space and I was all alone out there, cold. It was so painful emotionally that it, it, I, I felt these, this kind of almost itching on my skin, like a, almost like a, like a tingling, only a painful kind of tingling. On the other hand, I remember coming to my friend Don Showalter's wife's funeral, Marilyn. It was the first funeral I attended after Rachel's funeral. And just, again, experiencing, and by, by the way, I've said, and this sounds strange, and Yvonne identifies with this funeral of her husband. It was probably the most worshipful service I was ever at my wife's funeral. By the way, thank you for what you shared from, from uh, Bethel. Uh, I didn't realize he lost his wife. That was a lot. If you haven't listened to that clip, li listen to it, just a lot of good truth there from his own experience. And I remember the next morning needed to catch my flight back in Columbus and driving the rental car and just worshiping some of the songs that we had heard the day before, just worshiping the Lord and just feeling like I was, yeah, just in this amazing place with the Lord, like a, like a goat on high places. Many times I felt like I was standing on about that much ledge and that all it would take is a little shaking and I'd plummet to my demise. But they were exhilarating worshiping experiences that experiencing that and then moments later feeling pain excruciating pain and it was puzzling to me and then when i came across this i thought oh okay so pain and pleasure come together we need to embrace them both if we're not willing to embrace the pain we'll never really experience real pleasure so i think this would have been kind of an illustration of how i viewed life pain at one end pleasure at the other end opposites and in between normal quiet living 
I, I would put my back toward pain, look only to pleasure. Yvonne says she did the same thing. But then I came to realize some of this, that pain and pleasure are actually complements to each other. Pleasure, pain, this is life. Life must have both to be real, real life. And all around it is mediocrity and indifference. If, if we refuse life in its fullness, both pain and pleasure, we will live a mediocre sort of life. And I sometimes worry that that's what we experience a lot in America, is just this mediocre sort of life. <coughs> we look at some other cultures and think, wow, you know, how is it that they have great spiritual awakening and revival in some of these places? And then you look at the suffering and the warfare and, and you know, we know that that, but God allows it and they embrace it. Where in America, we can afford not to. We can afford to keep life nice and level and even, smooth. So let's face life. Let's face real life and embrace both the pain and the suffering and then we can experience the pleasure that God really wants to bring to us. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for this assembly here today. Thank you that your presence is here. And Father, while none of us know what's around the corner, and yeah, we have insurance on our cars and our houses. That's probably good in its own way. But Father, you, you, know, you still know how to get to us if you want to stir us up. And for me, it was losing a loved one. I've experienced other kinds of pain, Lord, you know. Everyone here has faced some level of disappointment, of hurt, abuse. Father, just teach us all how to embrace it and to trust you, to be real and writhe and agonize and not just put on a plastic smile and pretend like nothing hurts, but to be real, but to do so in trust, trusting you. You are our Father. You love us. You're asking us to come closer. Walk with us. Lead us, Lord. Teach us your ways. Help us to live life in its fullness so that you can be known for who you are, and that your glory, your story, can be known.
to all the world. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I want to read here, in closing, the rest of the lines of that song that came to me this morning. This is an old hymn. I th this was a favorite of mine, I think, when I was six or eight years old. Back in the church I grew up, all we sang was hymns, um, but some of them were really powerful lyrics. When I get weary with toils of the day, often the secret I kneel and pray. There I can hear my Lord sweetly say, come closer, my child, to me. And the refrain goes, closer, my child, to me, closer, my child, to me. Closer, my child, to me. Come closer. Come closer. Closer, my child, to me. When all around in this cold, dark land, nothing encourages me to stand. Jesus says, holding me by the hand, come closer, my child, to me. When in afflictions I suffer long, Jesus comes bringing this lovely song. Trust in my grace, and you shall be strong. Come closer, my child, to me. When I am meeting with trials severe, when I am parting with loved ones here, looking to Jesus, his voice I can hear. Come closer, my child, to me. I trust that will be your experience. God bless you.